it's all in the execution. I mean, you can find the, the, the greatest deal, get it closed. And then if you don't execute the business plan, what, what, what do you have? You know, um, like you said, you're going to leave your investors aren't, aren't going to invest with you again. You, you didn't deliver on your business plan. So, I mean, a lot of it rides on that. Um, think of asset management and CapEx, you know, that's, you got to execute those two things mm -hmm. um, to get your business plan going. Welcome to the Accelerated Investor Podcast with Josh Cantwell. Josh Cantwell. If you love entrepreneurship and investing in real estate, then you are in the right place. Josh is the CEO of Freeland Ventures Real Estate Private Equity and has personally invested in well over 500 properties all across the country. He's also made hundreds of private lender loans and owns over 1,000 units of apartments. Josh is an expert at raising private money for deals, and he prides himself on never having had a boss in his entire adult life. Josh and his team also mentor investors and entrepreneurs from all over the world. He doesn't dream about doing deals. He actually does them, and so do his listeners and students. Now sit back, listen, listen learn, learn, and accelerate your business, your life, and your investing with the Accelerated Investor Podcast. So hey, everybody, welcome back to Accelerated Investor. I am really excited to be hanging out with you today and hanging out uh, with, with a new friend of mine. Georgia Brew has been with, partnered up with me on on uh, an apartment deal. And I'm excited to be talking with him today. Uh, we're also excited to just be, you know, kind of sharing. Obviously, we're in the middle of this coronavirus business. Um, and we're operating uh, a bunch of apartment buildings that he has and that we have and we have one together. And we'll talk a little bit about, you know, due diligence and capex, kind of some of the stuff that we're seeing happening with the virus. And also talk a little bit about uh, George's you know, his, his entrepreneurial journey, what's, what's brought him and what got him excited about multifamily and apartments. Uh, to give you an idea, he owns over 1,700 units on the general partnership side, an additional 1,400 units on the LP side of his apartment uh, business. His goal is to own over 10,000 units of apartments as a general partner and also owns a commercial construction company. Uh, and they do uh, all kinds of different commercial construction work, a lot on multifamily and industrial buildings commercial buildings and things like that, which has kind of led him into wanting to own a lot of his own buildings, which he does now, which is amazing. Uh, he's also got a free ebook that he's going to tell us about at the end of this podcast. And so thanks again to all of us, all of you who've been joining me with Accelerated Investor. And George, welcome to the call, my friend. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, Josh. Thanks for having me, man. I know uh, we've been trying to set this up for a couple months now and finally made it happen. Yeah, absolutely, man. So, you know, I always like to ask our guests, like, what are they working on right now? Like literally today or this week, um, we can always go back and, you know, do the whole background thing and talk about your transition and your entrepreneurial journey. But what are you working on right now? So, you know, right now with the coronavirus and everything, we've been focusing a lot on managing our existing properties, um, pushing some of the CapEx that makes sense to do right now. Uh, we've got a 1,275 unit portfolio we closed on in end of November. Mm -hmm. So been working a lot on the CapEx for those properties. It's five properties. And then we're actually wrapping up the CapEx on the property we own together, the, mm -hmm. the one in uh, Oklahoma. Yeah. 
Um, so mainly that and, you know, still looking at some acquisitions, um, really looking for sellers that need to sell and have a specific uh, issue. Um, but uh, yeah, we've got one, one that we've got under contract right now that we're working on getting closed. Okay. Fantastic. So um, for some of our audience that might not know what's CapEx, maybe this is their first podcast they've ever listened to. Uh, you obviously have a commercial construction background. I've seen a lot of your pictures and video on Facebook. All of our audience, you guys should look up George and, and uh, you know friend him on Facebook to see a lot of his stuff. He has a lot of good content he pushes out on his Facebook page. But just talk about CapEx. Talk about your construction background. What does that mean? And what are some of the things that you guys are working on CapEx-wise on that Houston portfolio and then Crosby Park as well? For sure. So, you know, CapEx is when somebody goes to purchase a building, um, it's pretty much the budget you're going to use to fix any of the deferred maintenance and then also any upgrades that you're going to make. So it's a very important piece to the whole puzzle. Um, You know, it's how you execute your business plan. So the more detailed you are during your due diligence before you purchase the property, um, you know, the better that way you don't run into a situation where you run out of the CapEx budget and you still have more upgrades you need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody wants to be in that situation and then you can't fully execute your business plan. Um, you know, when I started doing this, well, I guess I'll, I'll take you back to, so I started in single family res- residential investments over sure. 13 years ago. And in that, um, as we continue to do more more flips, so we started doing a lot of flip properties, uh, I realized that there's not a lot of good contractors out there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I decided to open my own construction company. And um, since then, uh, you know, we focus on investors, we focus on uh, business owners, so a lot of commercial and multifamily work. And it goes hand in hand with my own investments. So... Mm-hmm. That's my way of knowing that the CapEx is going to get done and it's going to get done correctly. Yeah. Um, Super hands on. Yeah. I'm not saying everybody needs to go open a a construction company, but um, at least hire a professional that that has a track record. Yeah. Yeah. And so what advice, George, would you give to an apartment investor or maybe somebody that buys a portfolio of SFR, maybe, you know, a large SFR portfolio? What advice would you give them about vetting out a, a good contractor that's, you know, it's definitely 80, 20 or even 90, 10, you know, 10% or 20% of the contractors are decent and really 5% are probably really good. Um, and 80 to 95% of them suck. So what kind of advice would you pass along to our audience that you've learned both for resi and for commercial about vetting out a good contractor and who to pick? Yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. So I noticed when I first started with the construction company that a lot of investors don't take the time. Like they, they just want the cheapest price and they don't take the time to actually vet the contractors and they end up getting burned a lot of times. Um, so one would be don't just go by price. And then two would be, you know, take the time to, to one, look them up. You know, if they don't have a business address, if, uh, if, if they don't have an online presence nowadays, I mean, that's, that's a red flag. You mm-hmm. know? Um, the more reviews you, you can find online, the more, um, you know, ask for some references. 
you'd be surprised if you call some of the references and they tell you bad things. I mean, that's, yeah. that's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Kind of common sense, um, right? I mean, one-on-one, like right. if you're going to be hiring an employee, you probably do reference checks or past, you know, uh, employment checks. And if you're going to spend a million dollars, like Crosby Park, right. you know, over a million bucks in improvements, and you were hand- hiring a separate contractor, obviously you guys are doing a lot of the work and overseeing it, but man, it's a, you got a million bucks in the line. And if that thing even gets 10 or 20% out of whack, it really screws up your numbers big time just to have to bring in an extra hundred or $200,000. So simple reference checks sounds like, wow, that's really stupid simple. Yeah, it is. But the problem is, is most people won't do it, right? They just, they right. won't make the right. extra effort. Show me your portfolio. Let me talk to some owners, some previous mm-hmm. people that you've worked with in the past. Show me some of your work that you've done. Let me talk to them. Was it on time and on budget? Basic kind of questions that you can get verification from a third party. Correct. Yeah, that's great. Um, so you decide to start your own construction company to move while you're in single family. Tell us about that. Like, let's go to now through your entrepreneurial journey and kind of your transition from single family to owning the construction company and then ultimately jumping into multis. Yeah. So I, um, the plan was always to scale. So the construction company was a piece that I placed in there to be able to scale the fix and flips. But at some point I kind of, this was probably about four years ago now, kind of looked back at everything and, and, and I realized that everything I was doing was very transactional. You know, I hadn't, we had a couple, um, rentals and we had done some smaller multifamily, but, um, I hadn't built that wealth. You know, it was, it was, like I said, very transactional. Mm -hmm. Um, and there was only so much I could scale with the single family on the fix and flips. So that's when I started looking more into larger multifamily. Um, I got introduced into what a syndication is, um, and how, you know, before that I, I just, it never crossed my mind that I can own a 200 unit um, multifamily property. Mm-hmm. So, you know, once I found out that was possible, um, I really started digging into that. And then I tried doing both for a little bit, the single family and the multifamily. And I quickly noticed that, um, you know, just like Tony Robbins says, where you put your focus is where the energy goes. Mm-hmm. So I decided to drop the single family and just go all in on multifamily. Um, what was that transition like? You know, a lot of people I think are, you know, afraid, scared, fearful of, of that. They're like, well, you know, the fix and flips are paying my bills and I'm making some good money. But as we all know, it's like you said, it's not a wealth builder. That's, that comes from owning assets. I've been saying for years, funding equals freedom. And what I mean by that is funding, whether it's equity investors and debt and finding the right assets allows you to buy cash flowing assets, which provides freedom. Funding equals freedom, right? So you obviously felt that a couple years ago. Um, many people would like to make that change, I think. Many, many, but have the same kind of fears that you did. So how did you overcome that? What were some actual things that you did? Did you just say, hey, forget it, screw it. I'm just going to go buy something. Or <laughs> how, how did that go for you? No, I mean, you know, I, the first step was um, stopping the inflow of the single family. So, you know, we had the deals we were working on. So kind of had to um, stop the, the incoming leads and kind of just work on what we had. And then I think, I think the constru- having the construction company probably helped me, you know, cause it wasn't the thing with multifamily is it, it does take time to, to build up and get started. Um, so, you know, not getting paid for that 
amount of time could be yeah. difficult. Um, I had the construction company, so that helped as far as cash flow and, and getting money from there. Um, so maybe what I did is a little different. I would, I would suggest, you know, starting to put some focus towards multifamily if that's what you want to do and not completely stop the money that's coming in and then just continue to build it up and build it up to where you finally can. Yeah. Got to have some way to pay the bills now, right? I think for a lot of people, it's, I don't you know, when you're making a lot of money doing fix and flips or transactional work, whatever that transactional work is, wholesaling, whether it's even single family rentals or even construction, you kind of get used to a certain lifestyle, right? And I think it's about taking the long approach, the long game to say, if I even take a step back in the next year or two with my income, that's okay. Because now I'm building something that's going to pay me for the rest of my life. And would you take a step back in income to end up building something that's true, long-term, permanent wealth. It's going to pay you forever. And many people get trapped into, hey, you know, I'm going to keep doing these fix and flips and hopefully eventually I'll get into an apartment. And all of a sudden it's 20 years later and they're still doing single family. It's like you, know, you got to have that kind of awakening moment, right? Where you're like, no, no, it's cool. It's okay. And again, if you have a family, if you have a spouse, if you know, if you have kids, it's something you got to kind of agree on as a family. Like, are we okay with taking sort of a sidestep here, even a backstep to really focus on forever income? And, you know, you're not giving up that income forever. It might take six months, a year, even two or three years to stabilize a building until it starts to throw off massive cash flow. So was that a conversation that you had with your, with your family? How did you guys kind of reconcile that, that you might have to take a step back in order to build for the, for the long term? Yeah, I mean, my wife has, uh, she's always worked with me from day one. Um, so we're always aligned, but it was a conversation, you know, and, and mm-hmm. it was going to be, conversation was more of, I was not going to be a, around as much. So when I, when I started doing the multifamily, I decided to go all in. I mean, I was traveling every month. I was doing a ton of net- networking. When, dude, you when, go to like every event there is. When, when yeah. there were events, like I saw your profile, <laughs> like, dude, you had all those lanyards, like thousands yeah. of them, it seemed like. And you went to every event there was. It's nuts. It was great, yeah. man. But you, you, like you said, you went all in. You went to every event you could. You're hosting your own events. It was really like, you could tell it was very purposeful what you were doing. I'm going to go to every event. I'm going to speak at every event. I'm going to meet lots of people. Again, you're building relationships, taking the long approach. But right. yeah, that had to be very heavy with all those lanyards around your neck. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. But you, so, so, so you started traveling more, right? And because, and, you, you know, not every multifamily deal is going to be in your own backyard, right? They're right. Not, it's not like they're all within an hour drive. Um, yeah, that so, was actually a huge, um, that helped with the growth was once I realized, so when I first started, I, I live in Dallas. Um I was just looking at properties in, in DFW and I mean, I we underwrote maybe hundred plus deals and, and couldn't find anything that penciled mm-hmm. until we finally said, you know, started looking on the outskirts of Dallas or Oklahoma. And that's when things started to pencil and make sense. Um, but there was that mindset, you know, where you need, you need to get over the fact that, okay, it's not going to be in my own backyard but yeah. Yeah. So when you find Crosby park, right. And you're like, okay, it's in Oklahoma. It's 216 units. 
it pencils. Tell us what tell us what's going through your mind as far as now. Okay, now it's not it's not close to home. Uh, I might need general partner, uh, limited partners, capital. You know, you can do the construction. Um, let's just talk about that deal because we're partners in that deal. Let's talk about when you found it. Like you start getting excited, right? Because you're like, oh, this deal pencils, man. This is gonna work. But oh crap, this is not like next door. It's not an hour drive. It's the next state over. So tell us about your mindset there. Yeah, I mean, the first thing is putting the pieces together, right? To, to make the deal, to get the deal to close. So first thing is, okay, where can we raise this equity internally? Do we need a partner that's good at raising equity? Can Do we qualify for the loan? Do we need a partner to help us qualify for the loan? Um, you know, how am I going to do the CapEx? Uh, my construction company's never done a project in Oklahoma. Can we do this? You know, all those things are going through my mind. Um, and then it's just kind of plugging, plug and play. You know, um, as you know, we brought you in as a, as a partner. We brought uh, Tim in as a partner. Um, mm-hmm. And we just put everything together and, and got it closed. And that's any deal. You know, that's, that's how we look at every deal. We're, we're always open to partner with others and just um, as long as we we get the deal closed and everybody compliments each other. Are you ready to automate and explode your real estate investing? We're searching for extremely motivated individuals who are sick and tired of wasting time and want to finally see real results from their real estate investing business. We're searching for investors looking to get to the next level and become a bigger, better version of themselves while being a more successful real estate investing entrepreneur. Apply for mentoring and coaching at joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. That's joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. Yeah, I mean, in any multifamily deal, like large you know, apartment, you're going to have, again, somebody's got to kind of be the boots on the ground to run the project, find the project. If there's somebody who can qualify for the loan or multiple people that can qualify the loan is basically a sponsor um, and somebody that's, you know, can sign the PG, the personal guarantee. Then you've got potentially other general partners who do other things like underwriting, raising money, et cetera. Then you've got the equity investors that bring in the down payment and hey, look who, look who showed up. <laughs> you want to say hi, Dom? Yeah. Dom, 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 I've invited Dom to just crash all my webinars, all my podcasts. Nice, nice. You know, that's just how it's where we're at with this. I so something? I told Dom, it's all right. You can awesome. pop in and say hi to the people on the podcast. I'm going to say hi to George. Hi. Hello, buddy. <laughs> okay, go watch TV. That's cool. You know where the remote is? I don't know where the remote is. I thought you took it. No, I didn't take it. All right, I got to get back to this, buddy. Where's your butt? So, that's awesome. Yeah, Dom's been hanging out, right? So when Dom was born, he's eight, uh, almost nine. Uh, at my other house you used to have, he would just, it, I didn't have a lock on my office. He would just crash all the time. So like six years ago when he could, when he could walk, he was like two, get down the stairs and things. He started crashing podcasts and webinars. And I just have always had an open policy. Like I could get really mad. Like, dude, we got a recording. What are you doing? And then like, what example would I be setting as a father, not only to my own kids, right. but our audience. So our, my audience knows we won't even cut that part out. We'll just roll with it and just let Dom hang out. Hey, it's cool, man. I don't know. Have you seen that video of the somebody being interviewed on a news broadcast? Yeah, it's and great. Can, Baby rolls in and like one of those yeah. little strollers. Yeah. And the second kid comes in. <laughs> That's great. Um, so we were just talking about the, 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 the whole partnership, right? So 
So let's talk about Crosby Park for a minute. So we found Crosby. Let's talk through this deal. I've actually got it up on my screen. Um, the rental income at acquisition was about $1.5 million, about 12% vacancy. Um, expenses were about $800,000. And net operating income was about uh, $500,000, $540,000. And the goal was, was to, again, modernize the building, make the capital improvements. Um, we were going to do about a million two in in, in improvements, uh, renovation budget for unit terms as well as capex and stuff like that. Um, and so the goal was put the renovations in, modernize the building, improve the units, increase the rent, and then ultimately refinance within about eighteen to twenty four months. Refinance and uh, refi the bridge loan out and refi the equity investors out, and then have a stabilized building with uh, stabilized financing. Um, and so we bought this deal. It was back in June of 2019. So we're coming up on almost a year, about 10 months or so. Um, so just describe the last 10 months, George, since we close on it. Uh, we're through a pretty significant portion of the renovations, about seven dollars $800,000 of the CapEx is done, but a little bit is still kind of ongoing. Um, so just, just talk through where, where are we at today for our audience that doesn't know that deal. Yeah, so today we, we've uh, completed all the interior upgrades that we're going to do. There was um, a chunk of vacant units when we first closed on it. So that was our main focus, was working on the interior units and getting that caught up so that we had upgraded units that we could lease. Mm-hmm. Um, once we got a good portion of those going, then we started working on the, the exteriors and getting everything looking good there. Um, we're about done with the exteriors minus a couple. Um, I think we got the parking lots are getting done on Monday and then um, exterior paint is also getting done next week. So um, we're about, I can't remember exactly off the, we're right about 90%, I believe mm-hmm. on, on the uh, occupancy. So, you know, under a year and we're, we're getting pretty close to being stabilized and ready for that refi. Yeah. Yeah. The plan was really the two levers to pull, you know, to, and we've talked about this on other podcasts. We don't need to talk about it again, but most apartment deals are long-term syndication, right? And you've done plenty, you've done those, like your Houston portfolio was, was a long-term, this is more of a quick 24 to 18 months kind of in and out. And again, we bought it. It was at about 87% occupied. And the goal was to turn the units, make them nicer, improve those, then charge more for rent. Um, and now, like George said, we're at 90, 90% occupied and with nicer units and increased rents. And out of the 1.2 million of CapEx that we were going to spend, spend about 90% of that's done. Uh, so you've got you know 300,000, give or take, left to finish. And then the goal is, is uh, you know, in kind of Q3, Q4, finalize uh, building that occupancy up even higher, really pushing the income as high as we can and getting ready to refinance, uh, you know, hopefully by the end of the year. George, tell us about the, the, the virus for this building, your Houston portfolio, other things. How has the, how has the virus impacted your ability to do CapEx or do unit turns and leasing? You tell us about what's going on kind of in real time with, with the virus impact. Yeah, as far as the the capex items, we really haven't had any major hiccups. Um, you know, here in Texas, the construction was deemed essential. So, mm-hmm. for the most part, I mean, the only 
thing we've had issues with is maybe some, uh, and that's not even with our multifamily renovations. That's with a new development ground up. Um, some specialty items have been mm -hmm. hard to, to get, but, um, so that part's gone, gone pretty smooth. We've actually gotten a ton done in the past six, seven weeks. Um, then with the, the leasing, you know, that's become a little more difficult and, um, I don't want to say difficult cause I mean, we're, we're, we are leasing units. We've just had to adapt. Um, mm -hmm. you know, the, the leasing offices are open, but they're appointment only, um, trying to push everything to be, or as much as we can, as far as online, you know, mm -hmm. doing virtual tours, um, and if, uh, as far as work orders on the properties, you know, just sticking to the emergency work orders, mm -hmm. um, and then making sure to keep our staff safe. You know, there's guidelines that we've, we've put out there as far as masks and gloves. Mm -hmm. Um, I know in Houston, no one's able to enter the office without having a mask or a glove and mm -hmm. same thing with maintenance. If they come in, they need to have their, their masks and gloves. So mm -hmm. Yeah. It, through it. What, what are your thoughts on where we're at today? Like just, do you feel like things are unthawing? Do you think they're getting a little easier? Um, do you think some of the fear is gone or where do you think we're at in kind of the, the cycle? I know everybody's kind of experience with this is very personal and regional, right? right. So just kind of what, what are your thoughts on where you guys are at? Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be very area specific, but, mm -hmm. um, as far as the areas we're in, I'm feeling pretty good about it. Um, both Texas and Oklahoma are, have opened back up. Um, they're going to keep opening back up. You know, uh, I believe it's uh, Friday. Texas is opening salons and uh, other things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, I think we're doing good on that end. I'm curious to see what happens with, you know, hopefully we don't have another peak um, mm -hmm. or a second wave like they're saying that everybody continues to be smart about this. Right. Um, that's really my only fear. Um, and then it's how long does the economy take to get back? You know, right. what, there's going to be some businesses that are not going to survive, you know, and how's that going to affect everything? Um, as far as collections today, we've, we've done we did pretty well in, in April, better than mm -hmm. we thought, honestly. Um, we did jump ahead of it and, and, and get in front of it, but um, May starting to come in. It, it seems so far it's been a little bit less than, than April, so I'm really curious to see how, how we do in May and then come June mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Yeah, it, and again, referencing back to to Crosby Park if for our audience to under, kind of understand what the what the goal is. You know, we were all into that building. It was a six point one million dollar purchase, one point two of renovation, all in for basically seven point seven million. Uh, got a bridge loan for five point nine, and then a private investors for one point eight million. Um, and the goal was again through those, the reason why I'm asking, the reason why this is important is because what George and I and Tim and all of our apartments, what we're looking at is, is stabilization and a bank is going to look at the numbers to see, well, how many units did you have? How many units were occupied? And then how many units were actually collected, right? How many people actually paid, uh, not just occupied, but paid. 
And you really got to be at that 90% occupancy or better to turn around and qualify for an agency loan with Fannie and Freddie. So that's always been our, our goal. And we anticipate based on these increased rents with this particular project to be uh, at a value of about 10 and a half to $11 million in order to refinance. So it's important for us now is to kind of manage what's going on with May, what's going on with June, what's going on with July. And that's going to be important, but that might be a short-term hiccup, right? George says at the end of the year, what we really need to see is like in Q4 or Q1 of 2021, we need to see three months of 90% occupancy or better to qualify for a new agency loan. And at that time, we got to be, you know, increased rents, 90% occupancy for 90 days. And then you kind of qualify for that. And the good news there is the Fannie Freddie money is so cheap right now. It's, it's ridiculous. So even if we have a, a short-term hiccup or some sort short-term challenges, that's why I really look more at the long-term, right? What's going to happen really by the end of Q3, beginning of Q4, because we've got to position the, that building and your other buildings for, for these refinances that are going to take place around the end of the year. Um, so, and really, George, nobody has a crystal ball, right? Like nobody right. knows. We can all say we think, but really what's going to happen with May and then what's going to happen with June and July is going to be very, very important. April was very strong. A matter of fact, I do want to put a plug in and we'll put a, a note in the show notes. Uh, George wrote a great article on LinkedIn. I just read it the other day. It was published on April 21st, uh, about, a, about a month ago by the time this is published, uh, talking about the coronavirus effects on multifamily investors, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I found this to be very, very, very uh, well-written, lots of good bullet points, lots of things to consider. And again, I think the, the, the point of this is nobody has a crystal ball, but we're doing everything we can to be proactive. So we'll put that in the show notes and make sure people take a look at that. It's really good. Matter of fact, George, this is really good to even turn into like a, a little bit of a white paper or some sort of ebook. Um, nice. I there's, thought about that. Yeah, it's really good. By the way, George does have an ebook on his uh, website, Elevate CIG. Elevate Commercial Investment Group, ElevateCIG.com. It's got a great ebook. Um, everything you need to know as a passive investor in multifamily syndication. Uh, you guys should all go grab that ebook uh, and also, you know, jump on George's email marketing list. You can get his content and his uh, his information. Um, so, George, let's talk about kind of last piece here of this interview. Let's talk a little bit about tactics. And specifics, we, you mentioned earlier, you looked at 100 deals in Dallas that didn't pencil, and then deals outside of DFW started the pencil when you're more on the outskirts. Um, walk us through some of your specific bullet points that you do during your due diligence and your evaluation of CapEx. What are some of the numbers, some of the things that you're looking at when you're looking at pro formas or actuals, and you're looking at penciling this thing out? What are some of the major things that you look at tactically to say, wow, this, deal's, this deal does pencil out. This is something I've got to do uh, more looking at. This is something that could go. Tell us about your process there. Sure. So the first thing is, you know, we look at it at a pretty high level to see if it's even worth digging into. Um, once we've gotten past that, then I want to think that we dig in a little bit more than others on the CapEx. So the broker or the seller, we're going to ask them a ton of questions about what they've done as far as CapEx. I want to see the last time the roofs were replaced. I want to see, you know, any other major CapEx that they've, they've completed. Um, interior units, I want to know exactly how many of them are upgraded, how many of them are not. Um, if there's a medium upgrade, you know, how many are those? Um, 
then when I'm actually on-site inspecting, I want to make sure myself or if I need a professional to come in like for the plumbing, you know, I want to make sure we, we camera all the lines and we know whether we have breaks or not or other issues that we got to deal with. Um, same thing if, we, if you got a boiler or a furnace, um, you know, I want to get those checked. A chiller, you definitely want to get that checked because um, that could be a $20,000, $40,000 line item. Yeah, um, same thing with the roofs. You know, that could be another big ticket item. Um, and then the uh, a lot of the times I see investors do a, a, a okay job checking the deferred maintenance and then they kind of just guess on the upgrades. I mean, the upgrade is a big portion of it. You know, right. you, I rather know exactly what it's going to cost me or at least pretty close to it. So we dig in pretty deep into the upgrades too. Um, you know, if we're going to, something we've been doing a lot uh, is wrapping the, the balconies with cedar. Okay, well, I want to know how many, what it's going to cost. Um, if we're going to paint the exterior, I want to know exactly what it's going to cost us to paint the exterior. Mm-hmm. Etc. You know, and that way I have okay. It's going to cost a million dollars for deferred maintenance, five hundred thousand for upgrades. This project's going to be plus or minus five percent of one point five million. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But a lot of times I see investors close on a deal and they're like, "Yeah, we guessed one million and then they actually start digging in and getting numbers, and it's a two million dollar <laughs> project. <laughs> it's like, okay, now yeah. but. My newest and most powerful real estate investing book, The Flip System, is now available. And for a limited time, you can grab your free copy at getflipsystem.com forward slash podcast. Using the same proven principles, secrets, and investing strategies I'm sharing in this book, I've been able to personally close over 750 highly profitable real estate deals over the last 15 years, make over 400 private lender loans, raise over $30 million of private money, and acquire over 2,000 units of apartments. Get my newest book now for free for a limited time at getflipsystem.com slash podcast. That's getflipsystem.com slash podcast. Well, part of it, you know, as you and I know is in Kevin O'Leary, when he spoke at, at my event and actually was in 2016 in, in Dallas at the Renaissance. Um, uh-huh. And we were talking before he went on stage and we spent a lot of time afterwards. He said, look, when you take investors into your business, you realize that even if you're the CEO, you, Everything you do now is to take care of those investors. They really are the CEO. They're everything about your business. And your number one objective is to get your investors their principal back and generate them a a great return and then also have them have a great experience. So in that order, get their principal back, generate a return, have an unbelievable experience. Um, And as you and I know, like if you screw up the CapEx budget and all of a sudden you have investors while you're half a million dollars short. You've, you've, you've jeopardized the return of principal, you've jeopardized their return and now given them a terrible experience and they're not going to come back. So everything that we're really doing is with at least one eye on those limited partner investors because they're a big key to make this thing go. You got to find a great property. You've got to get the financing on the first mortgage debt. 
But it, those people that are making that investment in the equity. So, George, just talk about how important that is relative to the CapEx, relative to the business plan, about making sure that you execute on it, you project it right, so that LPs can have a great experience. Because then they're going to come back and tell all their friends. Yeah, I mean, it's all in the execution. I mean, you can find the, the, the greatest deal, get it closed, and then if you don't execute the business plan, what, what, what do you have? You know, um, like you said, you're going to leave your investors aren't, aren't going to invest with you again. You, you didn't deliver on your business plan. So, I mean, a lot of it rides on that. Um, think of asset management and CapEx. You know, that's, you got to execute those two things mm-hmm. um, to get your business plan going. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's super important. Um, I did want to mention something. I know it has nothing to do with this. Yeah. But as far as the out outlook on this on coronavirus Mm -hmm. my long-term outlook is still bullish on multifamily i'm I'm still all in on multifamily i'm just curious what's going to happen these couple of months but i don't see at least on on my deals and probably the same with with your deals that we don't have together when we purchase ours we're looking for true value adds at a wholesale price there's been a lot of investors that bought at retail or above retail. And those mm-hmm. are the ones that scare me the most yeah. because, you know, if you said, uh, I think Crosby was uh, 10 million something is what we, you know, if, if we come a couple hundred thousand short of that or, or the other thing is we don't have to sell right away. So, I mean, right. it's, it's, it's more term. So I'm, I have no doubt that we'll get to that value again. But um, if somebody bought something above retail and they have to sell coming up, they're yeah. most likely not going to get that. They're going to get slaughtered. Yeah. 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 The, um, the, the, the thing that sticks out about being bullish on multifamily and, and what you said is I remember hearing from one of my broker buddies that he called me up and said, hey, Josh, you got a great value add multifamily opportunity. <laughs> and I'm like, cool, Anthony, what do you got? And he sends it to me and it's like 112000 a door. And like a five and a half cap. And so the word value add wholesale price is like the most overused, I mean, totally butchered word in the in the multifamily space. You got to find true value add where there is CapEx opportunities, there is deferred maintenance, and the seller is willing to sell at a discounted, distressed wholesale price. Not a guy who's like, yeah, I did some, I did some upgrades 15 years ago, and I still want to get. Uh, something pretty much at a retail price or over retail. And that's basically what the broker was selling, but he positioned it as, oh, it's great distress, multifamily value add opportunity. I'm like, no, Anthony, this is not anything <laughs> like what I just described. Not even close. Um, but right. you hear that so often, you can't, as an investor, you can't just, when I hear that, I think, okay, send me the deal. Like you said, as a high, I'll take a look at it. Right. Um, but I don't take any of that to be gospel or, you know, the truth of this is actually how it's going to go. I mean, if we're going to put in 10 million bucks and a couple hundred, a couple million of uh, investor equity, you know, it's got to be, it's, we got to drag that thing through the mud before we buy it, you know? Yep. Um, well, fantastic, George. Listen, it's been great visiting with you today. Um, a couple things people, my, my listeners got to check out. One is, again, we'll put it in the show notes. George wrote a great article on LinkedIn. I absolutely love it. So I'm going to share with you. It was published on April 21st. Thought it was real honest bullet points of what's going on with the market. 
Uh, for sure, check that out. Number two, on their website, again, commercial, I'm sorry, Elevate CIG, Elevate Commercial Investment Group. Uh, great ebook on what to look for as a passive investor, everything that you need to know. Uh, and George, if any of our audience wanted to reach out to you personally, whether it was to invest in your deals or, or, or network with you or have questions, uh, what's the best place for them to reach you? Yeah, they can shoot me an email. It's uh, George, J-O-R-G-E at ElevateCIG.com. Fantastic. We'll put that in the show notes as well. So George, any kind of parting shots, final words of encouragement, words of advice, or any kind of final tips before we wrap up? Yeah, I mean, I would say, um, you know, I do see the the light at the end of the tunnel now. Um, and I think uh, we just got to keep pushing forward and um, things are going to get better for sure. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it's, uh, it's a health scare. It's a major, major health scare. Uh, it's not Armageddon. It's not the end of the world. Uh, I think there's going to be some opportunities in the next three to 18 months uh, to buy some stuff at a discount. So there is going to be some positives out of this. And just like anything else, tell my audience, look, stay safe, uh, take care of yourself and your family, uh, but continue to stay liquid. You know, Lots of dry powder. There's going to be some deals out there for sure. Uh, and I appreciate all of you jumping on and listening again at Accelerated Investor. George, thanks for being here. Thank you, Josh. You've been listening to Josh Cantwell and the Accelerated Investor Podcast. Leave a comment on our iTunes channel and let us know what you want to learn next or who you'd like Josh to interview. While you're there, give us a five-star rating and make sure to subscribe so you can be the first to hear new episodes. Follow Josh Cantwell and his companies, Strategic Real Estate Coach and Freeland Ventures on all social media platforms now and stay up to date on new training and investment opportunities. To start your journey toward the lifestyle you've always dreamed of. Apply for coaching at joshcantwellcoaching.com.